Previously on the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. I'm kind of going through it a little bit because I am struggling with something that happened and I wanted to share with you guys. Hey, you know, you're hungry. Rihanna is putting a new spin on pregnancy. Her belly is so big and she's just rocking these outfits. He's just Swiss Army knife to the 10th power. He's a, a star player in his league. Man, do I love football. Do I get a chance to cancel direct TV? Because I certainly will. And by the way, I don't go fishing, I go catching. <laughs> The dog pound was a hard place to play. Walking out onto the field, they was hitting you with them dog bones, man. And they was hard. <laughs> and I just cannot root for Kyrie Irving. I just can't do it. We believe in change and we're prepared for it with new techniques and new approaches. And as for our part, we feel that you're the best pieces of manpower available in this whole region. Let it go out there today, baby. Three, two, one. And once again, our Back on Welcome to the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. Oh! Mama, there goes that man. You ladies and gentlemen, star of our show. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another edition of the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. So glad that you have joined us for this episode. It's going to be a fun one, informative one, we hope. So a big shout out to all of you who are listening for the very first time. Welcome aboard. I'll tell you how you can be interactive in just a moment. I also want to send a big shout out to all the people who listen to each and every episode. Those who have joined the group and call the sports line or comment, like, tell their friends at the water cooler if there still is such a thing. I want to send a big shout out to you guys. And finally, want to send a big shout out to all of the folks who took the Brooklyn Nets to go to the NBA. NBA Finals in the Eastern Conference. Shout out to you guys as well. You need a shout out. Well, before I tell you what we have coming up this time out, I want to tell you if you're new or coming back and hadn't done it yet, ways that you can be interactive. The first way you can be interactive is by calling a sports line we set up for you guys 24 hours a day, 832-941-6614. That's 832-941-6614. There you can leave questions, comment on past episodes, make inquiries, um, request uh, conversations or anything you want us to know. Just hit us up, 832-941-6614. One for leave a message. I won't answer the phone. No one's going to answer the phone, but you certainly can leave a message. So that is a great way to be interactive. Also on Facebook, the Sports Talk with Devin Wade group page, you can join the group. Quite interactive. A lot of folks, I post poll questions there from time to time. A lot of folks post things there. Uh, they represent their teams or their sports and all of that good stuff. So you can be a part of that. And you can like the fan page. You can do all of those things. And finally, you can follow me on Twitter at Wade's Word, W-A-D-E-S-W-O-R-D. Got it? Hope you got it. Well, this time out, we are going to talk to a prospective NFL player, Texas Southern's own Michael Badajo. He is maybe going to get drafted, signed as a free agent. We're hoping so. Fingers crossed. Had an opportunity to catch up with him to talk about what he's feeling like these days. Crazy time, exciting time, I would imagine. He'll tell us all about that. And hopefully, like I said, he will be one of many HBCU players to get drafted in this NFL draft. First round is already in the books. The second round coming up later today. And then the the remainder of the rounds, I think second and third tonight, and then the remainder of the rounds tomorrow. So that's happening. Then we catch up. With Butch Alsander, you may know him from his days as the sports director at KHOU. 
You may know him from Texas Southern Broadcast on AT&T Sports Net. You may know him from Rockets and Astros pregame, postgame shows. You may know him from the golf course. He's a great guy. We had an opportunity to catch up, talked about a number of things, including the Houston Astros and a little bit about the Texans draft. I'm going to get into all of that. But first, let me tell you, we have our resident DJ coming up, the one and only DJ Anarchy. And we'll hear from our sponsors. No Lamont Award this time. But if you've not heard the Lamont Award before, you can go back and listen to past episodes and hear about the big dummy of the episode. So that is what the Lamont Award is all about. So with that, let's get started with some headlines. In headlines, there are a lot of things to talk about. Let's start with the NFL draft, though. Let's get into the draft. Of course, I'm not going to say this is a monumental draft, but it may be a draft that produces a lot of quality players, maybe just not the Hall of Famers that we're accustomed to. Maybe. We don't know. You never know. That's the point about the NFL draft. But on paper, the Texans look like they did a really good job, although they took a chance on Derek Stingley Jr., who is a cornerback out of LSU. If the last name is familiar for older listeners, his grandfather, Daryl Stingley, was paralyzed by Jack Tatum. You remember Jack Tatum from the Raiders and then later on played with the Oilers, had the huge collision with Earl Campbell. If you ever get a chance to see that video, check that out. But also uh, he was paralyzed and it kind of cut his life short. He didn't die then, but he was paralyzed and I think ultimately led to him having complications that led to his death. But uh, he played for the Patriots. Derek, I mean, a couple years ago. He was the dude. He could have been the top corner in the 2019 draft. He was outstanding by all accounts. He did his thing, but the problem is he's played just 10 games the last two seasons. The Texans have had issues with health at cornerback when you talk about some of the uh, earlier draft picks. Uh, But in addition to that, he's not a big hitter, not a run supporter, not a big tackler. But by and large, if he reaches his potential, this dude is a superstar. He's CB1. He's the guy. And so uh, that was a, a gamble because they could have went with Sauce Gardner from Cincinnati. but they went with, Or they could have went an entirely different direction, but they needed a corner. They need so many things. Uh, but they started with him. And then at number 15, from a Tescacita High School, Kenyon Green, of course, our offensive guard out of Texas A&M, a local guy, and that's always a great thing. You saw that with Kenny Pickett being drafted by the Pittsburgh Steelers. He played at Pitt. Now he will be a Pittsburgh Steeler. Uh, That's one of many stories that are very interesting about the draft so far through one round. There were a lot of trades, including Tennessee making a trade to the Philadelphia Eagles, sending A.J. Brown to the Philadelphia Eagles. These receivers, think about this. We have three really superstar, tip-top tier wide receivers who have been traded this offseason, including Devontae Adams to the Raiders, Tyreek Hill to the Miami Dolphins, and now Brown goes to Philadelphia. Well, hey, they're going all in for Jalen Hurts. So this is a big year for Jalen Hurts and Tua Tungavailoa because uh, they have surrounded both of those guys with pieces. A.J. Brown, one year remaining. Tennessee wasn't going to give him the $20 million, $22 million a year 
So they said, well, you know what? Let's get some value. And what they did instead, Traylon Burks, a wide receiver out of Arkansas, that is very similar in stature in his uh, his style of play, similar to A.J. Brown. So I thought the Jets did the best so far, but they had three picks. So they get Sauce Gardner at the fourth pick. They get uh, Garrett Wilson at the tenth pick. And they get Jermaine Johnson the second a defensive end out of Florida State. So they've done work. Uh, but there's a lot of moving parts with that, and we'll have to keep up uh, with those. But one thing I did want to mention, Lamar Jackson woke up not a happy camper, or actually he went to bed not a happy camper because he knew last night. Hollywood Brown was traded from Baltimore to the Arizona Cardinals where he can reunite, Hollywood can, with Kyler Murray in Arizona. But the thing is, they never let Lamar Jackson, the franchise quarterback, know that this move was about to happen. So he went to social media and he was like, what, WTF? What are we doing here? Hollywood Brown gone? I didn't know that. Nobody told me. And that's going to be an issue for him. Obviously, he has his own issues trying to negotiate his deal. But he's not surrounded by a lot of talent. Uh, He has Mark Andrews, the tight end. The tight end is really, really one of the better tight ends in the NFL. But all of those running backs will be coming back as well. So just the NFL is just going to take all of the energy when they get anything going because people just love football. And, of course, the Texans have several more picks tonight if you care, if you worry about the Texans. But the, uh, there's several things out there. Cowboys drafted offensive lineman. They say he likes to hold a lot. <laughs> so, so now you got another line stepper on a team full of line steppers. You've added another line stepper, so that's going on. Also in the NBA, let's shift gears here a little bit. The Eastern Conference semifinals are set: Philadelphia and Miami, and also Milwaukee will go to Boston. Uh, the teams that were supposed to close out series last night did. Dallas they closed out their series. Phoenix closed out their series. Philadelphia finally got past a pesky Toronto Raptors team. And so all that awaits is the final matchup between the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Memphis Grizzlies and Ja Morant. Is it going to be Ja Morant or Anthony Edwards? We'll find out a few hours from now. So that's going on. Also, the Astros 10-9 on the season. Winners of three straight in Texas after dropping the opener of that four-game series. But uh, they've gotten a number of quality starts, including another quality start from Justin Verlander. So things are going in the right direction as they go to Toronto for three. This is another important early season series. We'll have to keep an eye out on that. So with that, let's transition and take a brief time out, come back on the other side, and have our conversation with Texas Southern defensive tackle and maybe the next NFL prospect to come out of Texas Southern, Michael Badajo. That and Butch Alsander coming up and a whole lot more. This is the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. Anywhere you get your podcast. Your children are the most precious gift God has given you. Their well-being is of the utmost importance, and finding childcare that exhibits the same belief is, well, non-negotiable. So why not end your search at Brighter Brains Learning Center? Located in Stafford, Texas, Brighter Brains is a licensed, family-owned and operated daycare that promotes an early educational foundation and provides an environment of love, safety, and quality care for children ages 6 weeks to 5 years old. For more information, call 346-328-3717 or visit BrighterBrainsLearningCenter.org. 
it's Shelly Wade, and welcome back to Sports Talk with Devin Wade. Welcome back. We certainly appreciate that. Well, as promised, a, a conversation with Mike Batajo. Had a chance to call his games the last couple of years at Texas Southern. A guy that offenses had to focus on, on that defensive front for TSU. And a, a great team leader. A lot of folks are really, really pulling for him. And I had an opportunity to talk to him. Because, again, another opportunity. See, he had a really good offseason. He had a good season. But his offseason was even better. He had an opportunity to play at the Legacy Bowl. I think he was there. He got a lot of attention. And he just improved and honed his skills. And maybe, just maybe, he'll be drafted. Uh, maybe tonight, maybe tomorrow. If not, I certainly look forward to him being signed as a free agent. But a wonderful young man. And I wanted you to have an opportunity to hear our conversation with Michael Batman Batagel. Nickname given to him by Larry Chatterbox Hill. As promised, joined by Michael Badajo, a young man I had an opportunity to call his games last couple years at Texas Southern University. And in a couple of days, he may be hearing his name called in the NFL draft. How are you this afternoon? Man, I can't complain, man. Thanks for having me. Well, it's a pleasure to have you because I know it's an anxious time, an exciting time. How are you feeling heading into the next three or four days? Man, you know, like I said, it's a dream come true. Just an excited time to be here. You know, just got to keep my head down and just keep grinding. You know, everything's going to pay off. So I know that sometimes teams communicate with you. I know they've communicated with the coaches at Texas Southern. Are you hearing from, I mean, you don't have to name names, but are you hearing from teams and you hearing from coaches from around the NFL? Yeah, definitely. You know, uh, after my pro day, I spoke with a lot of teams, pretty much half of the teams in the NFL. Got invited to the Legacy Bowl and I spoke with a lot of teams there as well. You talk a little bit about the Legacy Bowl, and I want to get to that in just a moment. But let's talk a little bit about your time at Texas Southern University. Of course, that team got better, and defensively, your team got better throughout the last season. Talk a little bit about kind of going through COVID and then your team trying to grow and learn. Talk a little bit about that process. Yeah, it gave us an opportunity definitely to grow, you know, just the whole process, the whole ride, you know, from going from one season to another. Teams started bonding more and more, you know, starting to be more composed and realize, you know, what the mission was. Started to realize what the culture was, you know. Once we figure out what the culture was, kind of stepped aside. We put everything to the side of what we didn't need and focus on more of the things we needed and more of the little things to kind of focus on our success. The team did get better defensively throughout the season. Talk a little bit about that growth as as you guys kind of improved week by week. Yeah, definitely. You know, we had a young we had a young group when I was there playing with that defense group, so they, they definitely got, you know, more room for improvement further on in the years. But, you know, the time I was there, you know, defense was great. You know, you had young guys playing from different different positions, you know, guys playing linebackers, playing DN and guys moving from DN to three tech moving down the line. You know, it was a great great time I had with them and guys being able to play more than one position and, like I said, just chasing that bag. 
So you were invited to the Legacy Bowl. Can you talk a little bit about, okay, from the time you started at HBCU and then, of course, the swag, the attention around the swag exploded. Can you talk a little bit about the energy that happened within the conference from the time you started to the time you wrapped up in the swag? Yeah, you know, when I first came out here, man, just hearing from my teammates and other guys from other schools talking about the swag and just and just HBCU's period, you know, they're very competitive, you know. Other people might not see what actually holds inside, you know, an arena of this in this conference, but you know, playing this swag is very competitive, man. You know, I compare it to any power five school all across the country. So I just feel like nobody should just doubt the swag. HBCU's period. So you were invited to the Legacy Bowl. Talk a little bit about how special that experience was and what did you learn and what did you get out of that as a football player? Yeah, that was a great experience. Playing with the best of the best and getting some great knowledge from great coaches, you know, across the, uh, the nation. And just getting that feedback from, you know, those college scouts, you know, definitely boost up my stock but during the practices and the games. It, it definitely boosted up my stocks and it definitely made a lot of connections. So I want to talk a little bit about your growth from the end of the season to now. What sort of things have you been working on? What have you gotten better at? How have you improved from the time the season ended to, to now? You always focus more on the little things. You know, you focus more on, you know, your get-offs, your hand movement, your techniques, you know, things like that. Becoming more stronger, you know, just focusing more on the little things. And while you attack those little things, the bigger things, you know, start to make more sense. So that was really my main picture throughout this whole process. So over these last few months, you had an opportunity to focus on football in a way that you never have before because, no, you don't have to worry about class, or uh, maybe you do, I don't know. But uh, what have you been doing since you've been able to concentrate just on football? Yeah, so uh, I graduated with my with my uh, BA in 2020. So uh, I had an opportunity to pursue to get my master's. So during this whole time, I'm in grad school while trained to potentially be a professional football player as well. So, you know, it, it is a busy time. It is a tough time. But, you know, God put me in this situation knowing that I can handle it. So it definitely is a blessing. So let's go back a little bit. Let's talk about uh, where you grew up, where you went to high school, and how you ended up at Texas Southern. Yeah, so I'm from Arlington, Texas, man. Uh, I went to Mansfield, Timberview. This is my biggest thing was, you know, kind of just staying close home. So I didn't know where I wanted to go. So I kind of just narrowed it down with my head coach from high school, uh, Coach James Brown, just being at SMU. You know, it was down the street from my high school, down the street from my house. Uh, one of, you know, all my family members to attend the games. You know, things didn't really work out how it was supposed to be, you know, going after like 2017 season. So I wanted to get more recognition. So the best bet for me was to go to TSU just to go play with my old teammate, Devin Williams. I was the quarterback at the time. And, you know, we already had a bit, uh, a great bond from high school. And, you know, even going through college, you know, even got better. And it just all makes sense, you know, to go to HBCU and finish being a, an All-American. I want to ask you about your co the coaching staff at Texas Southern and those relationships you had with the coaches and, and how they helped you along the way. Yeah, that's my biggest thing. I love making connections, you know, along the way, you know, no matter who it is. So, of course, you know, coaches that I had at Texas Southern, you know, was definitely a difference maker towards my, you know, my career and towards being an NFL draft prospect, you know, they definitely helped me, you know, stay composed and, you know, motivated me to expect, you know, a few things that I'm going to be expecting and just great people to have, you know, in my circle. Name some names. Who were some of the coaches that really you felt like had an impact on you and your game and you as an individual? Yeah, you know, you got to give your props to Coach McKinney, you know, coming in and 
a guy that just, you know, he's humbled and had his head down, you know, what type of player, you know, he wants to bring in. And I automatically, you know, was like a magnet towards him because of the energy he brought to the table. So he was always close by my side. Coach Caesar, my defense coordinator, D-line coach, definitely a guy that, you know, I can call any day, you know, just to get some motivation, just to get some game. You know, even times, you know, we'll pray on the side just because that's how close we are. So definitely big shout-outs to them. Any uh, teammates that uh, that you think will carry the torch? Of, of course, again, you talked about uh, having a young team. Uh, a lot of those guys are coming back to Texas Southern. The team you left behind, who are some of the guys you think will, will – uh, carry the torch for the Tigers moving forward? Yeah, you know, there's plenty of guys I can just list and name, man. Like I said, that group I was playing with was a very young group, and there's a lot of talent coming out of there. Defense-wise, you got guys like DeMontario playing defensive end. He's going to go out there and make a difference. And you got guys like Tariq Cooper, you know, a linebacker that's going to make a difference. You know, another year he has, you know, he's going to definitely do some crazy stuff over there. You know, you got Jaron Johnson, you know, wide receiver. Young guy, you know, he had a little injury going on the spring game, but, you know, he's going to come back strong and definitely make a difference his way. And obviously, you got Andrew Body, you know, face TSU, you know, me and him talk all the time, you know, before I had left out of there. So, you know, that's a definitely, you know, young person. He's very humble. He's going to take the team off. With a team that young, did that give you an opportunity to provide some leadership for that group? Or did that put you in a role that you may not have had previously working with such young uh, teammates? Yeah, so I've kind of been through that process before already, you know, being at SMU. Uh, you know, I was already a young guy, and I, I was a young guy to, at a role where I was already a leader and had to make sacrifices, you know, for myself and for my teammates. So it was kind of a no-brainer, you know, at the time then when I was at TSU and I became a team captain by my teammates and coaches. With that young group, you know, it kind of boosted me to know that, okay, these guys are going to be focused on me and basically they're going to follow my move. So why not give them a great motivation, a great, you know, a great guy to leave, uh, to follow by. So it definitely was a great opportunity. Well, as the draft approaches, how are you going to watch the draft? Who's going to be around you? Who, who will you be surrounded by? How do you envision the draft going over the next few days? Yeah, man, it's going to be a good opportunity for me. And like I said, I have my support system with me the whole time. So, you know, it'll be my family back home in Arlington. They'll be with me, some close friends I have, and I'll definitely have my girl with me. So it'll be a, a, a great atmosphere just to have them around. How nervous are you? Are you more nervous or anxious? What are, what are you feeling? I'm not really nervous at all. You know, it's it's just about time. You know, it's it's about time that HBCU start getting some recognition, man. So it'll definitely be a huge thing that, you know, I get an opportunity. I'm bringing awareness to HBCUs, you know, more so Texas Southern for the next class, you know, so – they can go ahead and, and enjoy that ride as well, like I'm doing. Do you feel that responsibility? Like, hey, not only am I playing for myself and my family, I'm also carrying the torch for the swag and HBCUs. Is that something that you you think about as you move for uh, moving forward in your career? Yeah, definitely. I'm a guy that likes giving back, you know. So this is part of the, you know this is part of the whole process of me just making a name for myself, but also, you know, making a name for the city of Houston, Texas, you know, making a name for Texas Southern. So this is just all part it's all part of the process. What do you think that'll mean, your success in the NFL? What would that mean for the program? Yeah, it'd be a huge deal. You know, you really had really haven't had anybody from Texas Southern come out in a little while. So I feel like, you know, I'll be leaving out coming out as a, you know, as a legacy. And I want that to keep going. 
Is there any NFL team you would prefer to go to? Is there is, is there a team defense that you think that you would fit better into than others? Or I mean, I, obviously you would just want to get in the league, but is there a couple teams that you can circle and say, I like the way they play, I like the, how I would fit in there, and any of those things? No, I really don't have a certain team that I'll just say this is the perfect team for me. Kind of like you just said, you know, any team that gives me that call, you know, I'm just going to go in there and give my 110%. I hear this from a lot of guys who are late round draft picks. If you don't go in the first three or four rounds, would it be better to sign as a free agent where you can pick your spot or the team can really, you, you can kind of negotiate and work with uh, picking your situation or would you just, you just want to hear your name call? Which one would be more important for you? I mean, at the end of the day, just getting the opportunity is all that matters to me. Obviously it'll be a dream come true getting a call on national TV that you drafted. It'd be amazing, you know, but, Getting a call, period, you know, coming from an HBCU is, is a dream come true. So, like I said, you know, when that call comes, I'm ready to work. I want to thank you for your time. I want to thank you for what you've done for Texas Southern University. There were some lean times, but you and your group have really sparked the change that I think is going to help take this team to the next level. And I know the Texas Southern family is all excited about you and your prospects. And a lot of folks are really rooting for you in the TSU family. So on behalf of all of them, I've enjoyed calling your, your games. And, uh, again, I certainly appreciate what you've done for Texas Southern University. Man, thank you again, man. Like I said, I'll do anything I can for TSU, you know, to get them recognition. And like I said, appreciate you again for this time. For past episodes or more content, go to wadeswordproductions.com. What a wonderful conversation to have with Michael Badajo as he awaits his status and his future. And I'll say this. Uh, uh, first of all, I appreciate his love for Texas Southern, his loyalty to the program and to other HBCUs. He takes that responsibility very seriously. And that's a wonderful thing. It's something about NFL guys in the swag, and I've talked to several guys. If you played in the swag, those guys have a closeness, an unspoken closeness, because they played in the same conference. Uh, so that's a, a big deal. But if, even if you're not a big fan of the draft and projecting guys and, and prospects and all of that, it's a wonderful thing. It's and really can be emotional to watch these guys and their dreams come true. The culmination of so much work, so much sacrifice, not only by the players themselves, but by their families. It's a wonderful thing to see. And uh, every year I look forward to that aspect of it where you just see guys and you just know that millions of dollars are coming their way and their lives and their families' lives will be changed forever. Going to take a brief time out, come back on the other side. We still have our conversation with Butch Alsander, but first a word from Cobank Homes and our resident DJ, DJ Anarchy. This is the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. Anywhere you get your podcast. Sports Talk with Devin Wade wants to thank our sponsor, Kofi Bankus and Cobank Homes. The vision at Cobank Homes is simple, and it stems from the belief that clients can trust Cobank to guide them to realize one of, if not the single largest investment decision they will ever make, their home. Cobank simply looks to build lifelong relationships through service. They do this by using faith, knowledge, and technology to guide clients through the process of achieving their real estate goals. Be it buying, selling, or investing in real estate, contact Kofi at 832-757-7950. That's 832-757-7950. 
CoBank Homes through Keller Williams. SoundCloud and on Instagram and around the city of Houston. If you are in or around Houston, and I know I have listeners all over the country and all over the world for that matter, but uh, if you are in the Houston area and you come across a DJ Anarchy thing, you should check that out. Like I always say, it's a vibe. You definitely want to check that out. But if you have music you want heard on our podcast, just email us, music at wadeswordproductions.com. That's music at wadeswordproductions.com. The genre doesn't matter. We want it to be relatively radio edit, and we'll play a portion at the halfway point or an entire track, extended portion of a mix at the end of the show. So check that out. Um, want to get into our conversation with Butch Alsander. I've been knowing him forever and ever, and a great guy to talk to on many levels. And we sort of uh, let you guys in on part of that conversation, just sort of uh, some of the stories uh, that he has to share. And also we talked some Astros and some NFL. This was prior to the draft. So here is our conversation. Our guy Butch Alsander makes his triumphant return, the pride of McNeese State. I mean, out of all of your professional accomplishments, I still gravitate towards those pictures. What kind of player were you at McNeese State? I was the player who was hurt way too much, to be honest with you. <laughs> I got to start a few games my sophomore year, and then basically the injury list, and, and quite honestly to you, you know, I had, a, uh, like a lot of people do, a, a maturity problem. You know, I mean, it was just kind of like some people have to grow up. It takes a little longer to grow up, and it took me a little longer. But uh, you see me now, every time I'm walking around, I got some ice on my neck right now, man. <laughs> for that stuff, man. Yeah. Trying to get ready to, to get out there to play you in some golf. One of these days. Hey, one of these days. We're going to work that out. But who was the best player to come out of McNeese State? I am try, try to think about that. Who are some of the guys that came well, out? The top draft pick would have to be a guy by the name of Leonard Smith. And I say that because he was the first-round pick by the St. Louis Cardinals during that time. And I, I don't remember what number he was, but I, I think, you know, he was somewhere between 10 and 15, if I'm remembering correctly. I mean, you know, he was a big—then he went on to make All-Pro, played in the Super Bowl with the uh, Buffalo Bills— Lost both games, lost one to the Giants, lost one to the uh, Redskins. You're talking and, about and the DB, it, Leonard Smith. Leonard Smith, yes. Yeah, exactly. oh yeah I, I know him. Yeah, he was a ball player. Yeah, and we were, we were good friends in college. He actually 
when he went to Buffalo, that second Super Bowl against Washington, he was actually hurt. He flew in. He was a game-time decision, and he ended up not playing in that game. But what was cool about that, the game against Washington, it was in Minneapolis. I had just moved to Baltimore to work at WBAL, and they sent me to cover that Super Bowl. And so it's the Super Bowl that he's there. And, and, and the funny thing about it was I used to call him Eddie Munster in college because he had one of those big old, you know, his hair dipped down in the front of his, yeah. his forehead. Right. You know, guy. Yeah, I, I had one. <laughs> yeah. And so they're walking off the field, and I'm all the way on the other side. And because, you know, he wasn't practicing, he was with a different group. So I'm hollering at him, and I'm, hey, Leonard, hey, Leonard. And so everybody else is hollering, too. And I realized he doesn't know who's hollering. So I said, hey, Eddie Munster. And he stopped it in his tracks. I mean, he stopped directly in his tracks. That was kind of a cool thing. Yeah, anybody else? I mean, I remember yeah. him. There have been several guys. I mean, um, Buford Jordan, who was another one of my roommates. Saints, got, right? Tight end. Yeah, he got drafted by the USFL, played in the USFL until that league folded, and then he went to the Saints for seven years. In fact, he's coming to Houston pretty soon to play some golf, so I may have to hit you up to see if you want to get out then. He'll, he'll take your money now, quick. But... <laughs> But he, you know, his his deal with the Saints was the best thing that happened to him because he uh, did a good job for them, and he ended up staying in New Orleans, and uh, it worked out really well. But we had plenty of other guys. Another guy named Rusty Gilbo went to the uh, Jets and okay. played several years with the Gastineau Group when they were there. Uh, there was a guy who was older than me when I was a freshman. I think he was a senior. His name was Brian Hicks. He played in the Super Bowl with the Bengals when they played the 49ers when Montana made the, one of his big comebacks. 81, yeah. Uh, in the 85 Super Bowl, two Mississippi Cowboys. Yeah, okay. uh, Keith Artigo, who's since passed away, and uh, Stephen Starring. Starring was a wide receiver for the Patriots, but he was our quarterback when when I was there. So Now I know a little bit more about uh, McNeese State football. Oh, they, they put some of my guys out in the day. Uh, when I was there, we went to two straight Independence Bowls. Because that's before they had the FCS and the FBS and uh -huh. all that stuff. The uh, Southland Conference had an automatic bid to the Independence Bowl. So if you won the conference, you got to go to the Independence Bowl. Well, that's awesome. Is football still your favorite? Or I mean, obviously you play a lot of golf, but covering different sports, you do a lot of football, you do other things, baseball stuff, basketball. What's your favorite to cover? That's uh, it's a tough question because uh, – you know, when the Rockets were winning those championships, they were great. I mean, that was the best. You can't get anything better than that. I mean, that just and, and I was fortunate enough to that first year when they won in 94, you know, I was able to go and cover every playoff series. You know, so you're back on a plane, you're back and forth, back and forth. But it, it's so much fun. And then the first time the Astros made it to the World Series when they played uh, the Chicago White Sox. You couldn't beat that either. I was in uh, St. Louis for the clinching game and had to fly straight to uh, Chicago for game one in a couple of days and really didn't have a coach with me. That was pretty smart thinking on my part because <laughs> they didn't say we were going to send you straight there. So I didn't even bring a coat. So I'm out right there, right on the waterfront on that Sunday night, getting ready to do a live shot. And it's like literally staying at the truck with the heater on until it got time for them to for me to be on the air because it was that kind of cold. But, of course, we purchased the coat real quick when you're in Chicago, even at that time. It gets pretty cold. Oh, yeah. yeah no doubt about that. I mean, obviously, you went through a, a, through your years of anchoring and, and traveling. What was the craziest experience you have? Because, I mean, I didn't intend to ask you about it, but it's, it's such an interesting thing. Oh, uh, it but is. People don't know, like, what 
you have to go through to to make these shots happen and to provide that coverage? Uh, what's the craziest thing that, or a couple of craziest things you remember? Well, there's so many of them. You know, we were talking about baseball just now, and it just popped into my mind. We um, went to, um, I guess it was St. Louis again. The Astros played the Braves and the and the Cardinals a lot during the 90s and early 2000s. I mean, that's where they were going the whole time. And and we were supposed to go down that uh, a couple of days later. But I, I think what happened was management noticed that some of the other local stations were already there. And they go, OK, you got to get there today. I mean, I'm like, well, we're going to miss the practice, you know, because we got to get the plane. We're not going to get a chance to stay. Don't worry about it. We're going to get the St. Louis station to uh, shoot everything for. You. So literally, I mean, it, it very rarely works out when they set up something like that. But we flew in there, got through traffic, you know, jumped in the cab, got down to Bush Stadium. And literally, the news had started. You know, when we found the guys from uh, St. Louis, they had, had everything set up. They literally, I got out of the cab. I think George Jensen was over there paying for the cab. I walked over. They hooked me up with my, with my earpiece and my microphone. And they literally told me what they had on the tape. And the next thing I know, I hear Giff Nielsen's voice saying, and now we're going to go to Butch in St. Louis. <laughs> you just be ready to, to rock and roll. But, we, you know, we had so many of those type of uh, uh, things that happened. I, I remember going to, um, to D.C. to um, do an interview with Michelle Obama when she was first lady, to do the uh, interview with the first lady. And that was a weird thing, the way it came about. Because I'm over at the gym one day working out, and I get a call from someone at our assignments desk at KHOU. And he said, Hey, look, man, somebody from DC called and they wanted to know first, if you were still working here. And second, if, if you would be interested in going to DC to interview the first lady. And Devin, my first thought was, man, why are you messing with me? I mean, this, 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 this is, you know, this has got to be a joke. And he go, no, the guy called. He said he knew who you were, blah, blah, blah. And he said, here's his number. So I called him back and it, it turned out what it was. And this is how you, you just never know about some of these things. The guy that called was an, on the first lady staff. He was one of her aides, one of the communications people. And they have these meetings all the time. And what they normally do is bring in news anchors from the major cities. And you'll go in and you'll interview the president or you interview the first lady. And it gives them a chance you know, to get their message out in different type areas of the country. And they'll use the major stations. Well, his idea, hey, the first lady has this let's move program where she was try trying to get kids to exercise and eat more healthy food. And he said, let's pick five major stations from five major cities and we'll invite the sports directors in to talk to the first lady about her let's move program. And we'll tie it in to the MLS champions because they were having the L.A. Galaxy there to meet President Obama. You know, for him to meet him, bring him in the Rose Garden and give him whatever, and they'll give him the jersey and stuff. And so it was his idea, I think, to say, let's do that. And so they told him, roll with it. Let's go with it. And so he called me. That still doesn't explain how he knew me. So we're talking on the phone, and he goes, you may not remember me, but he said, I was on the basketball team at Bel Air High School when John Lucas and Emeka Okafor played when they had the really good team. He goes, you don't remember me. I wasn't one of the standout guys. But he said, you came out and interviewed us a couple of times and you were always so nice to us. And he said, I just figured, you know, that be a good idea. And I said, well, thanks. And uh, so that's that's how it all came about. That's awesome. And we got to go there. And, and uh, what an experience that was for everything involved with the whole trip from everything we got to do and just to get in there and do that. Of course, the one mistake we made, everything was running late that day. So when we got ready to do our live stuff at five and six, we literally were 
running to get back to the podium where they had everything set up outside where you can see the White House in the background. Well, what I left out was when you get to the White House, they give you these color-coded passes. They tell you right off from the bat, whatever you see, they have all these different lines drawn. And whatever color is on your pass, you have to stay on that line. You can't deviate from that line and go down another line to get somewhere. Well, we're running out of the White House and realize we're late. And I said, hey, man, if we just cut right across this lawn here, we can get over there. We'll cut half the time instead of walking all the way around. I don't know where these guys came from, but there was all this security. I mean, it was like these three, and they were very nice. They're like, uh, can we help you, sir? And, you know, that kind of stuff. But you don't see these guys around, but they're around. And, I mean, they, they, they got out there in a heartbeat said, sorry, but you got to stay on the yellow line. It was, it was an interesting trip. And after everything was to cap it all off, we got it all done. It was all you know, set and done. And the, little, uh, the, the guy who was the communications aide comes up to me and he said, Sorry, we were running late. We pushed you guys behind. He said, I got, I got an idea. He said, how would you like a tour of the West Wing? And I'm like, dude, are you serious? I mean, I, you know, we would love that. I mean, that would be fantastic because after 9-11, they changed the tours around and they don't take a lot of people back there anymore. So we actually looked in President Obama's office. You know, they, we could, they wouldn't let us walk in. They said, you can't go in and you can't take any pictures. So we could stick our head at the door and look in his office and just kind of look around. So that was pretty cool, too. It, it was just, it was, it was a great trip. But, you know, I could name so many trips like that, you know, that are just, uh, I remember being in Phoenix when the Suns had that three-to-one lead over the Rockets. Remember when they were about to knock, knock the Rockets out? Clutch City, yes. From Choke City yeah. to Clutch City, yeah. <laughs> before the with Kiss of Death from uh, Mario w- uh, uh, Ellie, I put the Rockets in there. But we were interviewing Charles Barkley, after the three to one lead, and somebody asked him, "Hey, Ben Berman, I don't know. Uh, Berman always gets in there and he gets close, he's crawling down on the floor right in front of Charles, and he's talking to us while he's getting his head shaved. He had this little guy who was shaving his head while he was doing his interview, <laughs> <laughs> and, and he he answers the question. He goes, "Man, look, I'm not worried about going back to Houston. Are you crazy?" He said, first of all, there ain't no team on the planet can beat us. We're up three to one." That's just a fact. There's no team on the planet that can beat us when we're up three to one. And he said, secondly, I don't mind going back to Houston. That's where the men's club is. I'm going to be fine. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that we know uh, from from those days. Yeah, that didn't work out too well for him, though, in the long run. It really didn't work out too well for him at all. And he still has to live with that to this day. Let me ask you the final question on that side of things. Did you have a moment where you had an opportunity to interview or, or, you know, work with an icon that you grew up idolizing? Wow. You know what? If, uh, just off the top of my head, I'm sure I could get a better answer if I thought about it. And, and But off the top of my head, when you said that, the first thing I thought about was Wes Unsell. And the reason why I thought about Wes Unsell was because when I was growing up, he was my mom's favorite basketball player. And, you know, there weren't a lot of games on TV back then. So we'd see the game. She loved Wes Unsell. And, and how would you think I'd end up in Baltimore and Wes was the coach and then he became the general manager of the Bullets, then later the uh, Wizards. And and so, you know, we got to be friends and I would call him about stuff and he was great. And I remember one night they had, you know, they were always in the lottery pick. They were always in the lottery, but they could never get the first or second pick. <clears throat> it was crazy how they, they never kept, you know, this is, that's just the luck of the draw. But they never got the pick. So he's in New York for the lottery, 
and we couldn't send anybody that Sunday. It was on a Sunday. And so I called him. I said, hey, look, is there any chance I could meet you somewhere when you get back to town so I can interview you so I could have it tonight for the 11 o'clock? And he goes, yeah, no, no problem. Don't worry about that. But she said, I'll tell you what, why don't I just come by the station? I said, are, are you serious? He goes, yeah, yeah, why don't I just come by the station? He said, I'm going to bring a six-pack with me. <laughs> so, so he shows up about you know 10.30. We go on. The sports was like at 11.20 or something because it's Eastern time. And so we're talking. And we're just I'm just hearing all these old stories, man. And it, it's great. And I, and I just got this idea. I said, well, Wes, what if, since you're already here, instead of just me asking you about the draft, I said, we're going to talk about the draft. But on Sunday night, we had an extended sports. I said, what if you do the whole sports with me? And he goes, are you serious? I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, trust me, I'm going to set you up and make sure you won't have anything to remember or anything to read. But, you know, you'll get the comment on everything that we talk about. And, ah, oh, man, I wish I still had that tape. I mean, it was a key did such a great job. And we ended up doing that several more times. Did you like, ever tell him that he was, he was your mom's favorite? Did he know that? Did you Were you able to relate that to him? Yeah, I, I told him. I, I, I told him. He laughed and he goes, man, yeah, he just he thought that was so funny. And uh, later he invited me to his uh, fantasy camp. He'd have a fantasy basketball camp, you know, when I was young enough to play. <laughs> and, <laughs> it'd be kind of cool. You know, they give you bullets, practice stuff, and you'd go in there. And then at night you'd go to the gingerbread house and, and, and sit down and he'd tell all these war stories and you'd drink beer. And it was, you know, it was, it was just a fun time. But that would be the guy that I would think about right off the uh, top of my, because, you know, I mean, I was like, I can't believe here I am. You know, I remember sending her the pictures of me with Wes Unsell. I'm sure she just was like, you know, just thrilled to death that, you know, I'd get a chance to not only uh, meet Wes Unsell, but, but hang out with him a little bit and kind of, you know, see the kind of guy he was. And, and I thought it was kind of cool this year when the Wizards came down. I did a couple of Rocket shows, you know, the pre and post game shows this year. And one of them, the Wizards was in town, and maybe that wasn't the show I did. But anyway, the Wizards were in town, and Wes's son is now the head coach. So it was kind of cool seeing him following this day. And, and actually, the other connection with that was I had interviewed him when he was in high school. So, you know, all this stuff goes full circle. You know, it's a big world of sports stuff, but it's really not. When you start breaking it down like that and the, yeah. and the connections and who knows who who's connected through all this other stuff and it's, it's, it's really weird that that works out like that. But I can tell you this, you, you talking about being over your, my first story when I got to Baltimore or one of the first stories I did was on Ted Turner's yacht in the wow. Tapsco. They sent me on his yacht to do live shot for our five o'clock show. Now keep in mind, I don't know if I'd been on a boat, maybe I'm on one boat before, let alone being on this guy's yacht. So I'm like, they're, they're showing me some of these things to do because th they were going to come to me. They wanted you to be a part of the crew. So you can actually have some crew stuff to be doing when they came to you live on the air. So that was pretty <laughs> cool. That was kind of a, but you can imagine I went from Lake Charles to Baltimore. And when you talk about station size, you know, the, the larger the station, the larger the number, the smaller the station. So Lake Charles was 172nd market. Baltimore was like 21. So, and then you came of, to Houston, which is top yeah, 10, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So that was kind of eye opening going, but making that bigger jump and kind of getting thrown into that situation and seeing the way they do things and stuff. But, you know, they're, they're all great experiences, you know, you know, just, you know, you, I, I feel blessed to uh, to be able to go through all that. It's uh, 
it's, made it's for a great art. career. I mean, that's, yeah. that's still going because yeah, now you not only are you, I mean, you continue to do rocket stuff and Astro stuff, but you may be on the the cusp of the explosion of the swag and HBCU. You're in the middle of all of those things as well, and and maybe this is the kind of turning point that people will look back on and say, man, this was the resurgence or the sort of the the, the HBCU birth a rebirth back into mainstream uh, college athletics. What what do you think about that? Well, I think you just hit the nail on the head. You know, we and we have to thank Dr. Charles McClellan a lot for his vision in all of this. But that's, uh, you know, that's exactly what what happened. And it's so funny because we both knew Dr. McClellan at Texas Southern, and and, and he kind of started the vision there, where he said, "Hey, look, we have Texas Southern here. Why don't we get these basketball games on TV?" And then Cynthia Cooper and I were doing like twenty some odd basketball games on AT and T Sportsnet. I mean, that was, that was a great year. Then they started doing the football games on, you know, so that's where it kind of started. And he had a bigger picture. He had a plan. He went to ESPN with the plan. And last year, uh, I think originally it was like literally 35 games scheduled to be broadcast. I think they ended up doing 41 or something like that. It was, it was an incredible amount of games. I know we did like 17 or 18. You know, a lot of times we would do two games in one day. I mean, Wow. But you're right. You, you kind of feel like you're a part of something that's big, that's about to explode. And uh, it's all about branding, Devin. And in some ways, what they're doing in the commissioner's office is they're rebranding swag. And it's almost like, a, hey, you know, why haven't we been on all these different platforms? Why haven't you, we been doing this and doing that? And now they're out there. And it's just a lot of fun to be a part of that. And to you know, especially when it comes to broadcasting football, because, you know, football is always going to rock the ship. Yeah. You know, it's going to be in, in, in almost any situation. Even now, today, it was more so 20 years ago, but today it still is. And I've seen so many people talk to me from so many different uh, uh, Tony Wiley, who we both know, Tony Wiley, who's now with the Special Olympics, was long time with the Redskins, long time with the Texans, doing a lot of different things. He used to call me, man. He, he he watched the games. You know, he said he watched the games on ESPN or he watched, set it up so he can see it on AT&T Sportsnet. So it's it's so good for the school right. to get that type of attention and that type of publicity. And when you see it happening for SWAC, it's going to open so many other doors. You mentioned today, you you know, you talked to Michael Badajo a little earlier. And right. he's going to have a chance, hopefully, to play in the NFL and to at least get a shot at somebody's camp and that kind of stuff like that. And guys are going to get, you know, people are going to get recognition that they wouldn't have gotten before. And so it's going to give them a chance to go further in the sport. Yeah. And I think what blew me away recently was uh, of course, Jackson state's spring game being broadcast. I'm like, okay, so now we really are taking the next level when uh, the conference is able to get that kind of exposure. And and I look for bigger and better things as we move forward. Uh, You're starting to see higher profile coaches come NFL level coaches come and are interested in coming. So yeah, it's going to be a great time. And I, you know, I can't wait until uh, the fall because I, I not only that, I think Texas Southern is going to have a, a really good football team as well. You just touched on another thing right there, because when Deion Sanders took the step at first, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know how serious people took him, but he came in there and he was all business. You know, he came in there. He said, I'm, I'm a, a coach. I'm going to make this work. We're going to do this the right way. 
And when he said the right way, he's talking about equipment. He's talking about getting the guys to think different things they need, all the way from, you know, jackets to wear on the buses to, to stuff like this. And that opened the door. Now you have Hugh Jackson at Grambling. And you got our buddy now at Alabama State. Eddie. So, uh, yeah, Eddie yeah. Robinson. Yeah. And yeah. then Bubba. You got Bubba. Bubba at Bubba. Prairie View. So, yeah. So, yeah. So, it, it's it's really fun. And like I say, two guys that I'm really close to are not head coaches in the swag. I was like, well, maybe I need to sh- switch careers late in life. Maybe I need <laughs> to become a, a quality control guy for one of these programs. But uh, I wanted to ask you a couple of things about the Astros. Because the Astros kind of stumbled out. Well, initially they got off to a great start uh, the first five games, and then they lost six uh, or seven of nine. What are your thoughts on the Astros uh, this so far this season? What are you seeing? Well, my my first thought is that there's no way they can continue like this. You know what I'm saying? I mean, they, they've hit a point right now where the reason why they're they, they're losing close games, and the reason why they're losing all close games is because they they're not even hitting. You know, I was looking at it last night. They have six players hitting under 200 right now. Now, think about this team and think about the quality of the players. You got Kyle Tucker, Siri, Maldonado, Castro, Aledmas Diaz, and uh, one other one. It was uh, uh, Nico Goodrum. All batting under 200. And, and Alvarez is at 200. That, that's not going to last. I mean, you, you wouldn't think there's no way that's going to last. And so it, 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 because they have not been scoring the runs like they have done in the past, the, the margin for error for the pitchers has been very, very slim to this point. And I will say, though, it's great to see Jake Odorizzi have a solid night the other night when they won 5-1. to one. Uh, yeah, they're going to need him. Yeah, they're going to need him at least to hold things down and kind of steady the ship until maybe Lance McCle- uh, Kellers uh, comes in. Do you think, I mean, obviously he's on a 60-day IL. Do you think he'll have an impact in the second half of the season? Or, or, or anything you get is just like a bonus from him? Well, I think at this point, you know, it, it, it's 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 a bonus. I mean, I, I, I hope he's going to have a big impact in coming in. And they'll get Presley back. And, you know, that's going to shore up the back end and, and things are going to start to take care of itself. But, you know, they it, it, it just it's just so it's such a long season, you know, and I know we're, 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 we've gotten spoiled here. You know, yeah. we're so used to these guys. And even though they've gotten off the slow starts the last couple of years, this one is a little different because of the fact that they're, you know, the offense is so anemic right now and they're just not getting the production. But when you think of the type of players that aren't hitting, I mean, I, I, I was just looking at it while we were talking, and basically it's um, Brantley and Alex Bregman. Brantley's 311, and Alex Bregman is 276. So it's great to see Bregman get off to a good start. I think he's got 12 runs batted in also. So he's, but, and then you got to keep in mind Altuve's out too, and you got to consider what, what he means to that lineup not just with his offense, but his defense. And I know sometimes I start yelling at him when he's running the bases because he gets thrown out of, but he makes this team go. I mean, he gets out there and he's excited. He plays like a kid. He's excited to be out there. And he makes a lot of good stuff happen for them. So I think when they get him back and they, you know, they get everybody in there consistent. Now I will tell you this, I would never question Dusty Baker at all because you see the results of Dusty Baker's managing the last couple of years. And it doesn't matter how you arrive. You know, you get to the World Series, you're in a Cadillac or you're in a Volkswagen, one of those little small ones. So you, you still get there. That's all that counts. But when the season started, I'm like, you know, man, why is Dusty resting all these people? 
you know, how come he's not letting them out there get a chance to get into it? But, you know, Dusty's smarter than I am. I mean, he knows they didn't have a full spring training. He He's trying to keep his team healthy. You know, he's trying to keep these guys from getting hurt early in the year and to where they got lose somebody for the whole season and stuff. So it's early. You know, sometimes we, we with this kind of stuff, we have to take a deep breath, right. step back, and then, then these guys are probably going to be okay. I mean, you look at it. They just got too much talent on that team to think that they they won't be okay. And then what? how about that shortstop, Jeremy Pena? That was my I mean, next question. I mean, man. this kid, and because, again, we we they have lost so much talent over the last few years with Gary Cole, Springer, Correa leaving, I mean, among others. You worry, okay, can you keep up or can you replace these guys? And it seems like Jeremy Pena has been really the surprise player of the year so far through 17 games. Uh, to, I mean, what have you seen from him? Because he's certainly electrified. Uh, Electrifying to me. Yeah, you know, I would agree. That first uh, series when he opened the year against the Angels, and he could not have been more unimpressive at the plate. I mean, Otani came in and got him to strike out, I think, three times on a slider. He couldn't touch the slider. And it's like he just kind of like, okay, I'm going to just calm down a little bit. And, man, after that, he's been off to the races. And, and you still see pitchers now try to throw the slider on him. And what he's doing now that I think is the bigger difference from what he was doing at the beginning of the year. Now he's following it off, and he's following it off, and he's, he's setting him up to get a better pitch to hit. And, uh, no, he's been a huge surprise to me. I mean, I didn't expect this. I heard how good he was going to be. But you hear that about a lot of guys, and you don't know how long it's going to take them to make the transition. You know what I'm saying? You don't, right. you, you could have a lot, a lot of these guys have talent, but some guys can never make that jump to the big leagues. You know, they can never show that talent in the big leagues. It never comes to fruition. And some guys, it just takes long. Look, look at Tucker when he first came in and it took him a while to kind of get his sea legs going and kind of go, okay, man, look, I, I belong here. I can do this here. So, Pena, I didn't know what to expect. And for him to come out and start like this and get the walk-off home run, I think it was Saturday night yep. uh, versus Toronto, after he had made an error, a big error in the ball game, to come back and win the game uh, single-handedly with that home run. I mean, he's, he's been impressive, but his, his dad's a former big leaguer, too. And, and, you know, there's a trend of a lot of uh, young players in the majors this year that have dads who also played in the big leagues, and, and that's a big that's a big deal. And, and, and a lot of people underestimate that because when I was in Baltimore, when I got there, Frank Robinson was the manager. And uh, that's another story I got to tell you about Frank, how he scared the death out of me one day and he was doing it on purpose. But (laughs) Frank was replaced by Johnny Oates and Johnny Oates, uh, his family lived in Virginia. And every year, once his son got out of school, man, he would bring his son out and his son would be with the Orioles. And believe it or not, he'd be out there before batting practice every day and he'd have somebody hitting him fly balls and he'd be getting major league instruction. And, And there's something to be said for that. You're in that environment, you know what I'm saying? You're learning the fundamentals correctly, and if you have any athletic ability at all, you're going to be able to be really doggone good. Yeah, we see it with uh, Kevin Biggio. He's uh, doing this yeah. thing uh, in Toronto. And that, like I said, there's a number of other guys uh, that are, you know. And, and so not only is it DNA, like you said, it's exposure and it's exposure to some of the best coaching in the world as it pertains to baseball. I want to ask – I do want to ask you about this, uh, if I could, about, of course, Correa's not – he's off to his worst start in, in his career. And, and actually, Pena has a, a higher batting average right now. But what do the Astros miss 
as it pertains to leadership with the loss of Correa? Because I tend to think that not only are we going to miss his production on the field, I think his impact off the field has been huge for this organization. How much will they miss him in the clubhouse? Well, you know, I think that's the beauty of somebody like Correa. Because you're right, I think, if I remember right, he's batting like 192. But the Twins were in first place, I think. And so, I mean... That's the thing about it was he can bat 192 for a while because he's a career to what, 75 or something like that. He can bat 192 for a while, but he gives you so much with his defense. I mean, he'll he'll take away runs with his defense and he'll take away with his defense. But it's also another part of it. Uh, you mentioned when, when he was with the Astros. I mean, he was the bona fide leader of that team. You know, I mean, Altuve is kind of like a, a, a silent warrior. I mean, you know, he's like the old E.F. Hutton joke. Whenever he speaks, everybody listens. But Correa was the fiery guy. You know, think about that. Remember in the playoffs and Correa going out there to tell Framber to tighten up, man, getting in his, you know, you know but you, he could, you know, really kind of get on him and put some pressure on these guys. And, of course, when they had to go through the scandal, Correa was a, one guy standing up and, and taking a lot of the heat. And maybe that aspect is an aspect that the Astros might miss. Because if you look at everything Pena is doing right now, now it's a long season. It's a, I'm sure Correa's going to have his numbers by the time this is done, and we'll see where Pena is. Yeah, he may hit the, a wall, yeah. Yeah, at the end of all this, because we, we, we don't know. But when you look at the contract, he was three years, 105, something like that, $105 million. I was surprised because, you know, I, I thought he was going to try to hit the home run, get the long-term deal with somebody for $300 million or something, but those contracts didn't come. I, I know Scott Boris probably anticipated that his agent, but it it seemed like those offers just didn't come. And so I think with the deal he has now, he could try again next year because he can opt yeah. out or the next year. <laughs> so yeah, and that's what it's set up for. But when I heard 105, I thought, okay, well maybe that's you know you think maybe the Astros could have done that, but who knows? We, we're not privy what's going on uh, behind the scenes. The lockout did have a big effect on some of these guys trying to get those kind of contracts. And you saw a lot of people because there wasn't, they couldn't have anything going on during that time. So that really kind of put a sting. I don't know how much that affected Correa or if it affected him at all, but I know that was a, a factor for some guys, but we just don't know. They may have both just decided to, we need to change the scenery. We need to go in a different direction. It's hard to say, but I got to tell you, I never envisioned Carlos Correa being separated from Altuve. I thought like Bagwell and Biggio were fortunate enough to play their entire careers here in Houston. Uh, I was hoping and really thought that might be the case with Correa and Altuve because you talk with those two guys, you know, the center of the diamond was steady. It was taken care of. And and there were both two young guys. You would have thought that maybe you could make that work and, and have them here for the whole time. But Hey, all you got to do is look at the Texans. You know, you had a franchise quarterback. He should have been here forever, too. So you never know what's going to happen. You never know. What do you – I mean, I didn't intend to ask you this, but uh, what are your thoughts on the NFL draft? Uh, uh, What direction do you see the Texans going on Thursday? Well, they need so much help that, I mean, they could actually go in a lot of different directions. You know, they got number – is it number three and number 13? Yeah. I think – and so I, I could see them if they go offensively, they could go with an offensive lineman. Uh, they may get a running back at 13. You know, if, it was, if they go defense, they could always use another edge rusher, you know, yeah. and they got to get a cornerback. 
Well, they seem to like Davis Mills. I mean, they seem to be kind of cautiously optimistic. It didn't seem like that that their name in that is a primary need. Although this is a weak quarterback draft, it's the. I mean, it, you get the vibe that they really like him. Well, it's it just the, the whole thing about Davis Mills. When you look at him, he he had some moments last year where he looked really good. But I, I, I'm one of those people. I, I just don't know if we if we saw enough to really understand what's the real Davis Mills at this point. I I, I don't know if we if we've seen enough yet because you look at a, a thing. Look at the investment Cleveland made in Baker Mason, and it just didn't happen, man. Yeah. It didn't happen. I mean, he just did not play up to where his draft status put him, where his money put him, his mouth. I mean, for, for them to not do to falter like they did this past season down the stretch. And that last game where they had to win and he threw three or four picks, that's just not acceptable. That's just, it really isn't. So it's hard to say, but you look at the Texans and just some last year, last rushing. So they got to get a running back somewhere. I mean, I know everybody says you can always get a running back. Don't waste a first round pick on a running back, but you know what? There, there, there are a couple of good guys out there that they need to try to, lock up and the other thing don't be surprised if they made some kind of deal if they selected somebody with the number three pick and then they did some kind of package for the number 13 you know where they just moved down a little bit and get some more draft picks yeah yeah because they need everything man you know defensively 31st in yards allowed 27th in points allowed i mean you need some help there i mean because a lot of times the defense can help the offense uh, in, in, a, in a lot of ways, if, if you know that your defense is going to keep those guys out of the end zone, you can maybe try some different, some 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 uh, more risky things offensively to try to make your, your thing going. But you know, I I just think they're going to get an offensive lineman somewhere in there. They're going to get a cornerback, and whether they go next, whether they go wide receiver, do they go running back? I mean, I think they got to get a running back. Because right now, you know, we got the dude from New England, and we got the guy they just acquired, who was the—I'm uh, uh, sorry, his name escapes me. But both of those guys, while they're very good players, and uh, you know, you you want that number one tier running back. You know, that can take a lot of pressure off of Davis Mills. Yeah. If if you get somebody, go and go and get it. You know what? Let me let me ask you a question real quick. Uh-huh. Because I stumbled onto this. I was by accident. I was getting dressed to go to a meeting one day, and. I noticed that the pro day from Malik Willis came on uh, ESPN or NFL channel, excuse me, NFL channel. And I sat down and watched it. And I got to tell you, man, that I was, you know, I know he went to a school that nobody, you know, is okay. Who do they play against? Who do they compete against? The blah, blah, blah. They had a good season, but just watching that kid physically, when he went through the his progressions on, on the, the they had him working this ladder with the receivers and stuff, and I didn't see him throw an incomplete pass. And you you can have a good outing, but physically, he looks so. And I know he's a project, and and I, and I just do you think even by the stretch of the imaginations that the if the Texans were to trade down, would they go on that route and try to get a guy like him or the kid from Pittsburgh or something like that? You see, I. I don't even I don't know if they'll step out there because well, I don't get it. 
Yeah, I wouldn't <laughs> think that they would because of the coaching staff that they have. You have Lovey Smith, the defensive uh, guy. And, you know, you, do you have anybody on the staff that you feel like, okay, he's a quarterback guru? Because some of these organizations have those guys that, that yeah. can really develop quarterbacks. I don't know that they have currently the coaching staff that you can kind of bring a guy like that that needs that extra, you know, what that extra attention, that extra level of de- development. So I would I would say that they probably wouldn't. It didn't doesn't seem like Nick Casario is a, a kind of guy that that is really going to uh, take a lot of chances. It seems like he's going to play things down the middle, and and I don't see him taking chances. But again, I, you know, he, it's early, still pretty early in his tenure as the GM. So we'll have to see. But I would it would be great to have some sort of intrigue or excitement going into the season because right now. Even if Davis Mills is a quality quarterback, he does not – nobody's getting excited over going to see Davis Mills. So, I mean, I don't know. Move the needle. And and, and I'll, I'll take it one step further than that. And it's just it's just a fact. It's not like, you know, down on the Texas or anything. It's just a fact. You know, you look at Jersey City. Who are you going to pump? I mean, like, who would be the big person on this team to – I, that's a big question. I mean, uh, Andre next- Johnson, JJ <laughs> <laughs> yeah. White. That's all you, you saw a lot of nines and a lot of you know number fours and uh, you know a lot of number eighties and. Uh, yeah, you, I, you're gonna have to go retro if they're gonna sell jerseys. Well, but that's just one of the things you're talking about. That's marketing and that's branding too, and that happens. This hey, this will be the biggest draft for Nick Casario. I mean, to this point, I mean, this because they haven't had any picks until now. So this is going to go a long way to setting this franchise up for the future. When you talk about two first-round picks here, you know, they may parlay it into some more picks down the way. This is going to be, if you get your offensive lineman for the future, you know, you you get yourself an edge rusher because you got to get some defensive help too. You get yourself one of these top cornerbacks. I just think, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be fun no matter what happens because just to see them in play, you know. We haven't seen this in a while. So it's going to be fun to see the wheeling and dealing and, and just see who they come up with in the first round. Yeah, and we'll see, like, the philosophically, we'll have more of an indication of what this organization is. And the question is, how long will it be uh, with Lovey Smith? I mean, obviously, I think Casario is going to be there, but are they going to roll with Lovey Smith for a while and really go with his vision and try to build up defensively? Remember what he went to the Super Bowl with Rex Grossman at quarterback, or, or you know, are they going to wait that long? I don't know. So there are a lot of questions to be answered about this organization, but uh, something has to happen, and I think that the needle will start to move, and a little bit more excitement will happen after uh, tomorrow. Really, when you start to get some some names to get excited about on this team. That's the thing. You know, you've got two first-round picks. You should be able to get somebody that's going to move the needle and get people excited about this coming year and say, hey, you know, get pumped up about watching the Texans again. I certainly appreciate the time. Man, this is a great conversation, man. I don't know why I don't talk to you more other than <laughs> you, you, you're busy all the time. That's why, I guess. But, uh, but no, I've, I've enjoyed it, and I certainly uh, look forward to talking to you again. We don't, we don't, as much as we're around each other, we don't get a chance to converse very often because we're both doing whatever it is <laughs> we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> we can, we're set to do the games at the time. But yeah, you're right. It's usually kind of just a little hello, catch up a little bit, and then move on to go get ready to call the game.
but no, it's been a lot of fun. Thanks, man. I, I enjoyed the visit anytime. And uh, I, I think you're right, especially about the swag. I think we're looking forward to having a really exciting season. You know, the, the transfer portal is something we can talk about next time. It has changed college football completely. I mean, it does not take long to get well in college football now with the, the portal. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, and basketball as well. So, yeah, we have a lot to talk about. So we'll have to have you back real soon. How can folks reach you on social media? It's I'm at, at Butch Alsendor, A-L-S-A-N-D-O-R on Twitter. And I think actually I think it's the same thing on everything. The same thing on Instagram also. At Butch Alsendor, you can find me on there. Just look me up and uh, follow me and I'll follow you right back. Hey, well, we certainly appreciate the time and we're going to visit in the not too distant future. All right. Thank you, Devin. To have your comments heard, call 832-941-941. Six six one four. Want to thank Butch for joining us. Always great to talk to him. And one thing about those kinds of conversations is that they sort of fuel your appetite for more of those kinds of conversations. So we'll have to get him on real soon. So no Lamont Award this uh, time out. But before I let go, before I let go. Before I let go, want to thank our guest, Michael Badajo. Want to thank Butch Allsander. Want to thank DJ Anarchy for doing his thing. Want to thank Brighter Brains and CoBank Homes. Want to thank them. Want to thank you guys. And I want to remind you, you can give us a call 24 hours a day, 832-941-6614. In addition to that, you can always join the Sports Talk with Devin Wade group page on Facebook and like the fan page. And then follow me on Twitter at Wade's Word. But if you can't remember any of those things, please remember these four things. Number one, I don't do no favors after 6 o'clock in the evening. Two, I ain't got no money. Three, I'm not harboring any fugitives from justice. And four, bye. This has been the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. Remember, you can follow him on Twitter at Wade's Word. Thank you for listening.